Blog Talk Radio. Greta Christina, and you are listening to Keith and Mike on Being Humanist. And we're back, and we're live, for real, for the sixth time. And uh, from my beautiful home in central Indiana, um, we're all here today. We're all in the same space. Welcome to Being Humanist. I'm Mike. And I'm Keith. And we're sharing the same microphone, and we're getting kind of close and cuddly. Which is fine. <laughs> yeah, I decided to get off my butt and actually come to Mike's place this time, rather than just calling in from the comfort of my own home. Which, by the way, how's that been? Oh, it's been working out fine. I mean, I've what have I? I've only done it two or three times. But... That's true, I guess. Um, I think it's nice to be able to be right in front of each other's faces though and not wondering i'll say wait wait there's a there's a minute or you know two second delay yeah kind of a deal the visual cue when someone's about to speak is kind of nice mm-hmm. <laughs> of course there's always the possibility of doing like a facebook live thing you yeah know, although that's still sometimes there's a delay yeah um so uh today uh, yeah, we decided yesterday that we were going to try to do this today. And then, uh, today, uh, I was like, I found out that yes, we can make this happen at seven o'clock. So here we are. Um, we, there's lots of crazy stuff going on and we've actually got, um, our, our buddy, but we're going to have a little reunion today, hopefully. Um, and we're, like I said, uh, we're both using the same microphone, so there's going to be multiple times where I turn my head and, yeah, I'm way over here now. But mm. otherwise, this is what it is. This is what it would be. Um, uh, our reunion today will be with Justin Clark. He hasn't been on the show since we switched platforms. Um, he's been he was doing his own show. Um, I think um, he's still attempting to call in, um, and I'm a guess. I don't know if he can actually hear us at the moment, um, but uh, he hasn't called in yet. Uh, he's he's having technical difficulties on his own, right? He's he said he just figured out he needed to use Chrome. Ah. So uh, let me ask how he's doing. So yeah, Justin. Now uh, I, it's been a while since he's put up a show, but he actually has a podcast called an army of principles um i actually was a guest on that podcast once um yeah and sadly i can't listen to it yeah it's all the way back it's gone episode 21 is it gone yeah i tried to look it up and it just wasn't there interesting i still have it right here in front of me um um he, he, he got involved with another podcast uh that aaron raw had something to do with that yeah um, he actually sought out justin personally to do this so i mean we have (laughs) yeah i was looking for the i I don't have the word basically i I was i was going to go along the lines of royalty but that's not what i want i was going to use something to uh 
you know, lift him on a pedestal. We have Aaron Ra. Justin. Oh, Justin. Yeah. Because <laughs> Aaron Ra sought Justin out. Yeah, Aaron Ra is uh, he's pretty big in the whole uh, internet atheist community. So I'm sure anyone who most people who listen to the show will probably know who Arn Raw is. Yes. And he says he is connected and he is on hold. And I'm like, do I keep him on hold? Would that be, would that be wrong to keep him yeah, on hold? Yeah. <laughs> mute him. Uh, let him just listen to the show. We'll ask him questions here and there and be like, Justin? I, okay, I guess his mic's not working. Uh, I won't do that. You there, buddy? Hey, guys, what's up? It's nice to have you, man. Awesome, awesome. How are you guys doing? Um, I think we're doing pretty fantastic. It's a little warm in my room, and uh, that is Keith and I are probably going to get naked soon. Um, (laughs) It's nice and chill in in my office here at my new digs here in Indianapolis, but I'm doing all right. Very nice. You sound good. That's good too. Um, Thank you. so, So far, the uh volume levels seem to be okay um yeah so cool. i i i didn't i didn't quite do all the necessary um intro stuff but um we'd love uh we always love to hear from the our people so uh feel free to email us at uh being at gmail.com find us on facebook.com slash being podcast and we're on twitter at being humanist pc um not for politically correct either. No. <laughs> no, we've kind of abandoned that ship. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that. That's how you find us. Um, Do you mind if I say a couple things, guys? I was going to give you that opportunity eventually. Anyway, eventually. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> um. Uh, well, I was going to, before we started, I was going to ask you a couple of questions just to make sure that you were cool talking about whatever it is you've got going on. Uh, sure, but now we're live. It. So whatever it is, we're just going to do it, I guess. Yeah, that, that sounds good. Um, so for those who did listen, I did have a podcast uh, called An Army of Principles. I started that last summer um, that ran for 25 episodes. The reason you can't get it anymore is that um, I was under a particular plan on SoundCloud and I couldn't keep the episodes up. So a streaming version of it, like through an RSS feed is gone, but all the episodes are available on YouTube. Um, okay. So you can go to okay. YouTube and check them all out. And then the other podcast I was on was called Secular Nation, which was a podcast I hosted with my friend, Jeremy Casey. Um, and I, I'm, I think with the exception of a few early ones, all those episodes are up on my YouTube channel as well. And coming in two weeks, starting on June 16th, I'm coming back. Uh, I've got a new show I'm going to be starting, and it's called Reason Revolution. Very nice. And, oh, and uh, basically what I've sold it as to people is that it's going to be kind of like a, um, a primetime cable news show, but for atheists. So think of it as like the Rachel Maddow show or the last word with Lawrence O'Donnell, but for atheists. Okay. That's interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. So that's I'm kind not. of where I'm at right now. <laughs> All right. Don't like, let the competition. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Yeah. Like, uh, my God. I've had people ask me, like, they're afraid to start a podcast because we're doing one and they don't want to take away our listeners. I'm like, are you like, really? Like, do you know how many podcasts there are out there in the world? Well, not only that, but if like if they like you, 
chances are they'll like me and vice versa. So we benefit each other by sort of the cross pollination. So absolutely. We can cross pollinate anytime, buddy. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I mean, it's a little bit of a drive, but if, if uh, y'all want a third guy (laughs) in that hot steamy room, might as well. (laughs) Get on your bike, buddy. Let's do this. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Man, I've missed you. (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, I've missed being I've missed being on a podcast. I was podcasting for like a year and then I quit. And so it's it, it's good to be back. Um, I can't wait to to get into the topic tonight because it has been on my mind for weeks, and yeah. I'm so excited about being on the show tonight. So thank you. Awesome. We're glad you could make it. Right now, before we get into that topic, I want to throw out a quick sidebar here. Justin, you're a man of uh, political acumen. Uh, thank you. Uh, with you're very welcome. With, withdrawal from the Paris Climate Accord. Good thing, bad thing. Oh, yeah. So I, I think policy-wise, it's kind of a, it's kind of a draw. The, the problem with long-term climate agreements, particularly – I mean, we've been doing this for you know, over 20, 30 years now. I mean, it started with the, with the Barcelona Accords in the early 90s, and then you had the Kyoto Protocol in 2002 – which, if people remember, the Bush administration also pulled out of as well, um, which was very controversial at the time. The, the thing to keep in mind with this agreement is that um, Snopes did a great piece about this earlier today, that in order for the United States to leave the Paris Agreement, it's a lot like the UK leaving the European Union. It's a years-long process that requires extensive deliberations between uh, member states of the Paris Agreement and the United States. So technically, the, the, the first day that the, the United States will be eligible to fully leave the Paris Agreement will be November 4th, 2020, which, if you're keeping track, is the day after the 2020 presidential election. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a tweet, somebody saying, you know, Trump, Trump is always going to be chicken shit to the last um, in terms <laughs> of how he pulls his decisions. Um, I think it's a terrible mistake. Um, for one, I think that the Paris Agreement was the first in my opinion, the first long-term substantive climate agreement with actual teeth. I mean, it's still in some respects a paper tiger, which in poli-sci literature means basically it doesn't have a lot of an of a enforcement mechanism, um, which means that Trump can sort of do what he wants with it uh, in terms of like he can basically violate the agreement and leave the agreement all in but name only through the next couple of years. Um, because there isn't much of an enforcement mechanism to go after him for, especially if he doesn't cooperate. But the problem with it as well is that's just the policy, right? It's also the politics of it. So one of the things to keep in mind about the Paris Agreement is that every five years, member states are supposed to meet and then renegotiate the agreement based on the most current science, which means that the newest negotiations would be in 2020, which would be the last year that the United States would be fully in it. So imagine it's kind of like being a part of a social club and everybody is meeting to, to work on policy and you're still technically a member, but you've decided to go across the street and just drink beer and not talk to them anyway. And then when you come back and they say, hey, we made a decision and you get pissed off, they can say, well, yeah, but you weren't here. You could have been, but you weren't. And that's kind of the situation. And the politics of it are terrible. I mean, Trump's disastrous trip overseas, I mean, where he like manhandled that, am, that, that, that dignitary um, at the NATO summit, his horrible oh. speech to NATO, um, which could have easily been given by Vladimir Putin, in my opinion. 
um, mm-hmm. and his speech to the Middle East. Um, I, I think that Trump has shown, uh, especially in today's just kind of the, the big clinch of it, is that a disastrous foreign policy um, that is reckless, that is not taking the interests of the United States' long-term allies in 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 um, in, in in account. It doesn't. It doesn't move our interests forward. Um, and I, uh, the the problem that I've seen is over the last few months, Donald Trump has systematically undermined almost eight decades of American foreign policy in terms of international relationships with Europe and with um, and with our NATO allies. Um, and and this this decision today is just the 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 the, the cherry on the top of the shit milkshake um, that we've been served. <laughs> So I think it's disastrous, both politically and policy-wise, um, and it's sad because the United States could be the leader. We could be the front-end leader on climate change, but we refuse not to because there is a very well-funded and well-operating minority that tries to inject doubt about the issue of climate change just like a generation ago the tobacco companies did about smoking. And so I think it, it behooves us to recognize that the goal now is for states and cities and for businesses to unite together and say, no, we're going to stand for the, the values of the Paris Agreement. In fact, uh, the states of Washington, New York, and California have already decided to join their own U.S. Climate Alliance. So they announced that today. And the city of Pittsburgh, which Trump mentioned in his speech, uh, said it voted 80% for Clinton, which it did, and that is going to honor the Paris Agreement. So I think Donald Trump's going to have a hard time going forward uh, with making the politics of this look good, but the policy of it he can do a lot of damage with because um, it's uh, it's a lot of it can be done through regulatory means. He doesn't have to have Congress to do it. And so that's that's kind of my uh, not so short but hopefully short enough answer about the Paris Accords. Well, look good. I'm glad I I knew that you would know a little bit more about it than I did. Uh, the nuance of it maybe, but uh, you know, the, the arguments that I hear from those who are um, for this withdrawal um, have things to do with uh, saving, saving, basically saving money. Uh, one, one argument that Trump made personally was that it was, it was uh, going to save American jobs. It was, I, I don't understand that since it's a new industry, but um, also uh, I've heard that, we're, there are people who fear that, that we're putting more into this than other countries and that uh, basically there are bigger offenders of pollution in the United States that uh, aren't going to be putting in their fair share. And we're going to be giving these other countries our money and who knows what they're going to do with it. What, what, what do we say to those people? I mean, I think the, the main thing I would say to those people is that one of the benefits of the United States being a part of the Paris Agreement is the fact that it has a seat at the table. And just like with NATO, I've never had a problem with the United States being the leader and financial backer of NATO. I've always thought that was a, a, a good thing. Um, the goal of the United States is to be a global leader. And it's not, you know, and when you say things like, oh, well, we believe in America first, but then yet do policies which then seeks to undermine America's interests with its allies around the globe. That doesn't, I mean, to me, that's not, that's not being a leader. That's the classic cliche that conservatives used to throw at liberals. I mean, that's leading from behind. 
Um, and in terms of uh, in terms of money or whatever, one of the the, the, the serious critiques of, of the Paris Agreement has been that in many ways it does set up this multi-billion-dollar climate assistance fund that would help basically poor countries pay for alternative energies and whatnot. Now, I agree with some of the, the critics who say we need congressional action on this. I think we do. The Senate never ratified the, the Paris Agreement. Um, and, and so, you know, some of the actions that the Obama administration took, particularly in putting uh, about upwards of $3 billion into this climate assistance fund, people can make the argument that that's unconstitutional. But the way to fight that is not just say, oh, we don't want anything to do with this. It's to say, oh, no, we need to be an active role. Uh, we need to be an active player in this. We need to lead from the front. We need to be the leader on, uh, on, on the global political stage and say, no, we're going to stand for this. We're going to give this Senate approval, and we're going to make sure that it gets the resources that it needs. That's what the United States did at the end of World War II with the Marshall Plan. It's exactly what we did um, after the, the Cold War with our um, support of, of post-Eastern Bloc countries coming into NATO. It's the exact same thing. I just don't see, uh, if you're somebody who's a national security conservative, if you're somebody who, who, who says that I'm a conservative because of national security and because of international affairs, I think the last thing you would want to do is pull out of the Paris Agreement. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> no problem. I, uh, it feels just, like a cable show, doesn't it? No, I've just really <laughs> just been struggling with, with this today. Like, Obviously, I'm a... a one who accepts the the science behind climate change. Um, I just, I suppose I wasn't really uh, in the know when it came to the, uh, you know, political aspects of the Paris climate accord. So that clears a few things up for me. Thanks, Justin. Oh, no problem. All right, Mike. Uh, what do you think? Should we get into the meat of this episode? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I know that Justin was very excited when I told him what we were going to do and what we we're going to talk about, I think all three of us are probably struggling with the same thing. We love freedom of speech um, and understanding as well that all that freedom of speech really does is keep the government from arresting you. But um, uh, at the same time, um, the free flow of ideas, whether you agree or disagree with them, um, not being kept from people's ears, I guess, is the other big, I mean, freedom of speech, I suppose. Right. Um, so, yeah, uh, lately, um, and in fact, um, let's see, uh, January, end of December, January, whatever, uh, you and I got together to have a lunch at uh, a good old Thai restaurant here in town, and um, I started to talk to you briefly about how I feel like I'm watching the atheist community almost kind of split. It's like over the last eight years or longer, there's been this movement bringing this atheist community get together. Everybody's, you know, all, all with each other and everything. And then uh, um, once 45 was elected, uh, all of a sudden there's this, uh, there seems to be, you know, a lot of progressives, a lot of those on the left who uh, want to try to keep people they don't like, like Ann Coulter from speaking on college campuses. So they just, uh, they, some, some of them get violent. Uh, they just shout over and they, they don't let anything actually happen. Um, and they just basically keep any 
talk that they don't want to hear from happening. And this rift that I'm seeing seems to be really separating um, us. I know yourself and myself, Keith, um, who over the last eight years felt we were pretty left and progressive. Yeah. And then all of the sudden, all of a sudden we're feeling pretty moderate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how the hell did this happen? I mean, I still believe in all the things that I oh, believed yeah. in. My, I mean, but, I've had some shifts, but like essentially I'm the same progressive wise as I was yeah. when we started all of this. I just, um, you know, this whole atheism thing and, I think what it boils down to for me is I don't want somebody to prevent me from inviting an atheist speaker, leader, and the free thought movement from coming to a college campus. I don't want a church group to keep them from coming because they don't agree with them. So that's where I struggle. But when you throw in an alt-right gentleman who's spewing hate messages of race and whatnot. I guess I'm struggling with where do you draw the line? Is there a point in in which there's a line drawn? Right. And also I just want to mention, this isn't just like a divide that's occurring within atheism. This is liberal America. This is the left in America where we're seeing this divide begin. And maybe it is just like the, as I, I, I believe it's said, Maybe it's Dave Rubin, Sam Harris, one of the two, talking about how we need an emerging center, uh, left of center, right of center, which didn't seem to exist for for years. But I think out of the craziness that we're seeing on both sides of things, just the absolute extremes of the right and the left, we're getting a lot of people from the right and the left that are kind of coming together in the middle a little mm-hmm. bit, I say. you know. Yeah. Uh, do, would you agree with that, Justin? But yeah, I mean, one of the things that's interesting about this discussion is that, um, at least for me, uh, I feel the same way you guys do, where, you know, my, my core convictions have largely stayed the same. And yet I find myself being often not on the, the mainstream of thought with regards to progressives, um, so much so that I don't even identify as a progressive anymore. Um, I, I just identify as a liberal. Um, in, 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 and so what I would say is this. Um, I do think that there is a, a real silver lining in the polarization that we are seeing, which is that I, I hope that there sort of becomes a new, what I would call consensus center, which did exist in the United States in the 1950s and 1960s. There was a consensus style of politics where the, 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 the left and the right disagreed on some core things, but they often sort of put those aside for the betterment of the country. Now, I'm not going to mm-hmm. say that that didn't have anything to, you know, that, that that wasn't necessarily the best thing in the planet. I mean, obviously, the, the, the reason there was a certain level of consensus back then was because it was mostly white middle class men. But I, I would say that it's important to note that there was a time of, of, of great consensus, and that started to break down. And we have seen the logical result of that decades-long breakdown of, of the political consensus, and Donald Trump is sort of that logical conclusion to that. Um, and in terms of the free speech issue, I mean, my thinking on the subject has always been that um, free speech, in my estimation, uh, is the – 
one of the core liberties that I fight for. I mean, you know, I mm-hmm. feel that way. I feel about the First Amendment the way, you know, some, you know, gun people feel about the Second Amendment. I, I think that the First Amendment is fundamental for free society. Um, because one of the beauty, beautiful things about free speech is not only do you have the right to speak, but, the per, but a person also has a right to listen. And, you know, one of my favorite political essays is John Stuart Mill's On Liberty. And in On Liberty, you know, John Stuart Mill makes this point that if, if all we're doing is trying to just reaffirm our own position, then not only are we not going to know the position that we're opposite of, we're barely going to know our own position to begin with. And so, I, and so I think it's very important that we as a free society um, uh, advocate for dialogue and for um, a diversity of thought and opinion. Um, having said that, I mean, the one thing that is not protected by the First Amendment um, are threats of violence. So if you threaten to kill somebody, um, that's not protected speech. Um, but anything beyond that is protected speech for the most part. Um, the real the real bothersome trend that I've seen has been these waves of violence and often uh, sort of uh, haggling protests, whether you've seen sort of the, the, the riot that happened on the, the, the Berkeley campus when Milo Yiannopoulos came to speak or right. Middlebury College when the, the, the AI scholar Charles Murray came to speak. And in Correct. fact, the irony of that one was that a liberal college professor had come to moderate the talk to ask him tough questions about his research in regards to race and IQ. And instead of the audience giving their college, their liberal progressive professor a chance, they steamrolled the talk. It basically went, fell into chaos, and the woman suffered a neck injury because of it. Right. And then when mm-hmm. she and Murray tried to go in and, and have dinner in the town somewhere else, they hassled them there. They had to completely leave the city. And what is the, the Middlebury College's response? It's to, it's to basically slap these kids on the wrist and move on. If you were a student and you physically assaulted a professor in the name of tolerance, you should be expelled. I, I don't understand. You know, it's kind of like the children have gotten control of the house and the parents aren't courageous enough and don't have enough strength to say, no, you're not going to act like a child. And the logical conclusion of that type of thinking is exactly what ended up happening with Yale. A couple of years ago, we had that big controversy about the, uh, the professor who sent out an email encouraging students, hey, don't be so worried about Halloween costumes, which led to eventually to her, her, her husband's dismissal from the university, her dismissal from the university. And the, the video that everybody knows of this young girl basically yelling at this college professor and verbally assaulting him on, on campus and, 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 and ended up being given an award for, quote, unquote, social justice by the university. Right. So I just read that. So you can so apparently you can be a a loudmouth bully to a professor and it gets you a social justice award. This is the problem on the left. It's this authoritarianism that exists and it's just it's it is absolutely against the principles of a free society. It's absolutely against what is truly progressive, which is to hear people out and make an opinion based on what you've heard instead of having a confirmation bias and and not listening to other people, even if their views are completely abhorrent 
it's better to listen to them and to respond with better speech than to exactly. harass them and to and to threaten them with physical violence. Absolutely. You know? it, and, it, I, it, and I'm go ahead. No, you you finish your point there. I was just because the last thing I was going to say was fuck Antifa, okay? <laughs> I mean, this is the, the I want to say, and I don't give a shit if Dan Errol wants to yell at me later on Twitter, I don't care. Antifa is bullshit, okay? These people talk about how they're against fascism while using the same tactics as the fucking brown shirts. Exactly. So don't sit here and tell me that these people stand for freedom of thought and tolerance and all this shit. You know, when you dress in all in black and you blow shit up and you hurt people, I don't see that as being anything constructive at all. And so we need to call that for, out for what it is, which is barbarism. And so we don't need to stand for that. And if you're a progressive and you're standing for that kind of violence, you're no better than the fascists we're trying to fight here. I agree completely. It's, it's a real caveman mentality to just – you hear something you don't like, bonk someone on the head. It, it solves nothing. Um, it's just, and w- when I hear someone who is a proponent of this defend it, they go to the what if scenarios. Uh, what, well, we have this uh, rise of Nazism in the United States, and that's bigger than what you think, and blah, blah, blah. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the same people who supported Trump's travel bans uh, on the other side of the political spectrum. Uh, because all Muslims are terrorists, basically. Terrorism is such a huge threat to the United States. I feel like we're seeing the same thing on the extreme left. Um, they're, they're driven by their fears, and um, they're using fear in a way, advocating violence to drive a message home. And I just think that they need to take a look in the mirror. They're, they're becoming what they hate. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and and one of the things I think that's also troubling is this is this negation of individual rights. I mean, one of the things I mean, to me, whether it's the, the, the Trumpsters or it's the Antifa people, this is collectivism at its worst. It really is. It's the herd mentality, it's the tribalism. And it's not in it's not in conjunction with what a enlightened liberal democracy should be advocating. And so I, I find a huge problem with this idea that somehow we're going to solve these things with violence, because I don't think that's the case. The whole point of the, of the First Amendment, the whole point of freedom of speech and inquiry is to have an open dialogue about ideas so that you don't have to employ violence. Because the moment that you, you no longer guarantee the right of free speech to everyone, regardless of their views, you are left with the only alternative, which is violence. And that is not, in my opinion, that is not conducive to actually making the world a better place. And the one thing you hear all the time from people is, well, it's okay to punch a Nazi. Yeah, maybe if you're Indiana yeah. fucking Jones. I mean, the thing, the thing to keep in mind here is that when we fought Nazism, we fought it in war. It was, a, it was a government effort where people united together and we fought a war, a, a just war against an unjust enemy. And so it's not morally equivalent. When, when, okay, so you know, go I got to interrupt you here, Justin. Sure. Would you, how do you feel about the idea of a college group inviting Richard Spencer to speak on campus. Should that be allowed or not allowed? I think it should be. And, and here's why I do. 
because I don't like Richard Spencer. I think his views are absolutely abhorrent. I have a hard time listening to him because not only are his views absolutely disgusting, but he's actually fairly articulate and charismatic, which makes him even more terrifying because he's selling a bill of goods that most people think is just applied to like old white dumpy racists. And here's like this skinny guy who like looks good and kind of like, like a GQ looking motherfucker. And he's saying this horrible shit and it kind of makes it sort of, I don't know, fashionable. Having said that, I I do support um, Spencer's right to speech. What I will say is this. um, Universities have a right to disinvite speakers. Um, I I don't think a university has a right to disinvite a speaker that was not brought by the university themselves. So, for example, the, the Milo talk that sort of fell apart at Berkeley, he was not invited by the university per se. He was invited by the whatever the Berkeley College Republicans were. Correct. Um, and his was, was canceled over security concerns. Um, I think that this is a, a real challenge because there's a part of me instinctually that wants to say, no, don't give the guy a platform. But what I would say is this. If you can guarantee that you can create a security situation by which Spencer will be protected from, from physical violence. And so will the protesters who protest his speech on campus. I'm all for it. But if it falls into chaos, it does behoove the university to, to think about the physical safety of its students and its administrators. The thing about the, the Ann Coulter talk, when the Ann Coulter talk was canceled, this is a fact a lot of people don't know. The reason it was canceled was because she would not agree to the date that the university had supplied to her. The university had been more than generous with Ann Coulter about rescheduling um, her talk. But what they did was they said, well, in order for us to be able to have security to protect you and to protect protesters, we need to do it on this date. And she said, she basically told them to go fuck themselves because she's going to do it the way she wants to do it. So instead of cooperating with the university, um, they basically said, well, we can't do it. And it ends up making her look like a martyr when she's not. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a complicated issue. My sort of gut instinct is fuck Richard Spencer, but my political instinct, my instinct to protect freedom of speech says he is as worthy of a platform as can be guaranteed under the safety of a university. That's uh, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I struggle a little bit with it because I mean, the guy promotes um, the removal of any, any non-white person to their country of origin. Um, I I don't know if the guy has ever actually uh, promoted violence of them because he does say that he's not a Nazi. Um, but uh, man, it's just, it's rough to me. I feel like if anybody that's going to be that controversial is going to be invited by a, a college group, a student group or whatever, period, any, any forum where they're going to speak, I feel like there should be this, uh, just a similar situation as they had at Middlebury where they have someone on the opposite end of things who can rebuke what the person says and they don't just have, their own platform. Yeah, I but, think that's a, that's a decent way of looking at it for sure. But again, I don't know that uh, someone like man, it, this is a struggle for me because I know that Germany will not allow anyone. They Richard Spencer wouldn't exist. Uh, I mean, Germany just does not allow 
that speech within their yeah. country borders. So oh, it's he like, exists. Uh, he would ju- he would just be in the underground, much like some true. of the the, and the Holocaust denial scholars of of, right. of Germany. But go ahead. But yeah, so there's that element there. It's like uh, you know Germany does this, and I consider them pretty progressive. Granted, I am not a politician, so or a, a political science person. But uh, I mean, so far as I can tell, they're pretty progressive and they want to move forward things, but that's just a really rough scar on them. So I understand why they wouldn't want to, but I do truly struggle no matter how much I vehemently just despise that man. It's just like, man, I, I don't, I don't know how you can prevent him specifically from talking. Yeah, and I think that in many respects, I mean, my my attitude has always been that sunlight is the best disinfectant. True. Um, in the, in the respect that, you know, let him air his views, let him look like a complete ass, which he does, um, an arrogant know it all, you know. And I don't think he's a Nazi, you know, like in the sense that like he like belongs to like the, the national socialist party or whatever. But I mean, he's, he's a Nazi in a colloquial sense. So when people call it, when they say Richard Spencer is a Nazi, they, what they generally mean is that Richard Spencer is a white supremacist, which he right. is. He's a white nationalist. I think Definitely. describing his white nationalist is probably more accurate, you know, but, but, but calling him a Nazi um, is accurate in the sense that in the colloquial usage of the word Nazi. Um, it, it, what I would also say is this, um, you know, Richard Spencer, I think, has all the right in the world to speak his mind. Having said that, I think that there is an army of people who vehemently disagree with him who have just as much a right to, to espouse their views as he does. And so it, it's very – the reason that we're in this position – is because there has been a real, I think, in my opinion, on college campuses, particularly the elite campuses. I think most campuses don't deal with this, but with elite, particularly, you know, northeastern New England campuses, there's been sort of a rot of intellectual diversity on campus. And and in many respects, there's also been sort of a rot of ideological diversity across the country. I mean, polling data suggests that our country is becoming more polarized all the time, where you know, you know, the parties align more ideologically than they ever have. And so it kind of creates this sort of all or nothing politics where it's either on one end, you have to be sort of the, the epitome of the regressive left social justice warrior crowd, or you have to be like this sort of like, you know, red pill men's rights, Richard Spencer asshole. Like there's no, because we're, we're living in an age of extremes where only the extremes are allowed but yeah. there's a middle there where you can go, well, wait, I think all of this shit's kind of crazy. Let's talk about <laughs> what's really important here, which is freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of conscience, individual rights, and democracy. I mean, these are the, the broader values that, that, that most Americans agree with. Um, so why, you know, why is it that we're letting the extremists narrate and dictate what the narrative is going to be? And I think the way that you combat that is by letting Richard Spencer speak and be awful and then letting people openly criticize him or just show him for what he is, which is, which is a racist. And, and so that's, you know, it's, it's very, it's a hard discussion because there's an instinct to say, fuck that guy and fuck him and, and, and fuck anybody who wants to, to like support him. And I don't, and I'm not even defending him. What I'm saying is that it's, it's, you know, 
the, the First Amendment does not protect speech you like. It protects speech that you don't. And, and so, you know, it protects my views as much as it protects anybody else's views, and for good reason. And so, you know, it's about making sure that we actively, vehemently denounce this man's ideas and that we don't, we don't give in to sort of the barbarism of saying, we're going to punch him in the face, we're going to blow up his house, we're going to yeah. do this and that and the other. Because that makes us no better than his own form of barbarism. So, right. that's, so that's kind of my estimation. It's hard. And, and, I, and I by no means have the best answer on it. But what I would right. say is that we need more speech, not less. Okay. That's, that's, yeah, I, and, I agree. Now, okay, go ahead, Keith. Oh, I was just going to say uh, whether I agree with uh, – obviously, I don't agree with punching people in the face for saying things you don't like. But I, I, I have to admit I chuckled a little bit when he took the blow to the face. Oh, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. That was – I mean that, that was nice. But um, we kind of bring him up too because of the video – uh, with uh, Charles Barkley and uh, whoever the other guy was interviewing Richard Spencer. Right. Um, so I was going to ask you, Keith, like what was going through your mind watching this video? Oh, I, you know, I'd never, I, I'd seen clips of Richard Spencer, but I'd never actually listened to him speak at length until mm-hmm. I watched this video. And wow, he, he is, he is what he is accused of being. He is a white supremacist supremacist. And he's, he's, He's proud of it. He's very. I mean, he 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 makes no bones about it. Um, what was most striking for me, <laughs> striking. What was most striking for me was the very beginning when they came in the room and they introduce introduce themselves and uh, he's like, you know, thanks for having me here, whatever. He's like, you're Charles Barkley. Yeah, he was excited so cool to be meeting, meeting Charles, Charles Barkley. Barkley yeah. And I'm thinking to myself. Who is this guy? <laughs> like, where does where does this guy come from? This is like watching uh, um, All in the Family from uh, back in the day, and uh, uh, what's his name comes from the Rat Pack, Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, yeah. He's all excited to meet Sammy Davis Jr., but no other black person is worthy to be in his presence. Um, I thought that was really interesting, but I agree though, and everything that Justin spoke of earlier, as far as him being charismatic and uh, well-spoken and everything else. I mean, yeah, it fits him to a T, and it is amazing to watch this individual say such things in front of these two black men and just not be um, deterred by anything that he wants to say. He just no. goes, and he's not nervous. He's just it, – it flows. And he just flat out with confidence tells these two black men, America is a white country. It's a country for white people, built by white people. Yeah. And he's, he's, a, the, he's, the diversity is a, he, he said, oh no, he actually said diversity isn't a problem, but we need to kind of stay in our own groups. Right. Is what he was getting at. Basically, he's, he's talking about going back to segregation. Um, and he, he, he it was the, one of the more insulting things that he said to, to the, to Charles Barkley and I can't remember the other guy's name who was with Barkley but um, was uh, how he discussed uh, bringing rather than giving the jobs uh, low paying jobs to immigrants he'd rather see the black people doing that yeah it was just uh, unbelievable he, he would rather see the Mexicans back on the other side of the border and give them to the black give those jobs to the blacks yeah. I wasn't really sure what to do with that uh, be disgusted well, <laughs> yeah but it was just like um, why is I don't from his logic, his mentality. I mean, which is 
better. Like it, it's almost like he's saying one's better than the other kind of a deal, or he'd right. rather see one group doing this nasty work than the other group or something. I, I don't know. I was, I was taken aback and um, yeah. So that's, I, I'm guessing that anybody listening to the show probably knows who Richard Spencer is, but um, I could be wrong. I don't know if there's anything else we want to add about the guy. Cause uh, we, I mean, we still have some talk about free speech. Could, could I make just a brief point about the, the portion of the video that I think struck me as the most um, offensive and I guess in my eyes, um, besides all of the vitriol, I think the thing that bothered me the most was when the other gentleman with Barkley was talking about, we in America, we believe in three things. We believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And oh Richard God, Spencer yeah. just laughs this off and he goes, ha ha, that petty enlightenment notion. And right there, right there, he's exposed himself for what he is, which is a man who is fundamentally at ideologically at odds with the philosophical underpinnings of the United States. He has no interest in them. His, his political beliefs are more in tune with the collectivist and, and, and nihilistic tendencies of people like Hegel and Nietzsche than with the Enlightenment philosophers like Locke and Hume and Diderot. This country was founded upon Enlightenment principles. And when he just laughs them off and scoffs at them, that is one of the most disgusting things that I've ever seen. Because you can tell that his racism, that his... His, um, his bigotry, his white supremacy is not coming from a position of reason. He has said with that statement, I reject the process of reason. I am basically an emotional and instinctual being. And I instinctually and emotionally believe that white people are better than black people. He's not even putting on the pretense of using reason. He's rejected it. And in that moment, I was just disgusted because of course that's what he is. This is the logical result of when bad ideas, uh, collectivist ideas, are taken to their logical extreme. You get somebody like him who rejects the Enlightenment. In rejecting the Enlightenment, you reject the American experiment. That's un-American to me. And so that was, the moment, that was just the moment that just floored me, that he didn't even make a pretense to reason or the Enlightenment. He just scoffed at them. And called it a faggoty thing, I believe. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, you bring up a really good point. He was just faggy to me, I yeah. believe. Yeah, something like that. Um, thank you for that. Um, I Okay, so I, I guess moving on to the next point, uh, what's better than – what's better? Um, <laughs> I was going to say what's better than having a severed, bloody Donald Trump head in a picture – but then I'm like, why would I say what's better than that? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I, Kathy Griffin, um, I, I will be honest. I've thought she was funny in the past. Um, I've never been a fan. I was actually <laughs> somewhat attracted to her for a little while there. I haven't had, I haven't had that either. <laughs> I may be an oddball. Um, no, 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 Mike. But, uh, there, was a, there was a moment in the mid-90s where Kathy Griffin was kind of hot. Like when she was yeah. in Pulp Fiction, like that was the moment. Pulp Fiction. I, I, you know, I'll give you that. Was she in Pulp Fiction? Yeah, she's in Pulp Fiction. She has a cameo in Pulp Fiction. 
I'm gonna have to go. <laughs> I'm gonna have she to like go look play, for that. She like plays a version of herself, but she's but she's in Pulp Fiction. I'll have to go watch it again. Um, at any rate, uh, for me, uh, yeah, she's she is who she is. I think there are a lot of comedians who probably go too far with things or whatever, and maybe they're just all about shock instead of actually providing a real artistic statement, in a sense. But right. Um, in this case, uh, and I've been seeing memes or whatever you want to call them on social media about, you know, comparing her and this picture holding a severed Donald Trump head next to all of the Obama effigies um, being hung uh, over the last eight years yeah, and saying, hey, why are you guys freaking out over this uh, when you guys did this? for eight years yeah but then the point of it is you know if this is happening and one of you is upset at the other then that's what's wrong it's like why are you going this far Mm -hmm. and going back to our free speech discussion here just so we don't uh contradict ourselves i do kathy griffin Apparently, as as if if maybe she's looking at this as some sort of expression of art, but uh, she has a right to do these Absolutely. things. Absolutely. But you know, um, CNN also had a right to fire her for it, um, and I have a right to think it's in poor taste, just like I did when people burned Obama effigies, and yeah, I, I thought that was in poor taste. I just don't think that that's the best way to get your message across. But again, I can't be too pissed off at her because what law did she break? Yeah. I keep seeing the, um, uh, sur- or not survey. I don't know if it's a survey or a, a poll people passing around, uh, 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 oh, shit. Signatures needed. Put your signature on this thing. Blah, blah, blah. Why can't I think of it? <laughs> uh, petition. Oh, petition. Kind of petition. Yes. Um, <laughs> Where they're uh, trying to get uh, arrested for that, and like, I, uh, see, like that's, people, that's going too far. what are you? Are you? You're missing the point. <laughs> you can't arrest people for these things unless, well, I guess she was showing. I don't know. She wasn't actually saying she was going to kill him, though. Um, no, I, uh, I don't know. I, just, just a real quick interruption. Yeah. Um, this is this is not great news for everyone, but I may have to cut out a little early. Uh, I just got a message. Um, my girlfriend is in need oh. uh, of a, uh, she basically doesn't have a, a ride right now. Okay. 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 Uh, but I've got a little bit of time left. I just wanted to let you know that, get that out of the way. I might have to cut out here in about five, 10 minutes. Okay. Well, Justin, um, to be honest with you, let's see, um, in about 10 minutes, we'll have about an hour in as it is. And mm-hmm. we've been trying to keep these shows to an hour, so um, mm-hmm. we'll just we'll we'll try to end it as Keith leaves. How's that sound? That's fine. Okay. Um, Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> no, 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 that's cool. That's and cool. I, I wouldn't be offended if you guys continued without me, uh, if, you, if you'd like to. Well, I do have family waiting for me on the other side of the door too. So, um, yeah, but I mean, as far as Kathy Griffin's concerned, I, it's it's an interesting story. It's and it's interesting to watch it play out on social media. And at the same time, um, people freaking out about it. Why are they freaking out about it? I don't think it. No, I don't think it needs that. Um, well, obviously, you saw my reaction to yes. one of our mutual friends freaking yes. out about it. But uh, 
Um, and then you have the constant problem with pra- painting such a broad brush mm-hmm. on parties, which is, I think, when you see the Zephyr, uh, the Obama things, and the Donald Trump neck. <laughs> head cut off thing it's um you really do see that polarization and you really do see that there are some serious crazy people on both ends of this thing who are freaking out about these things and they don't know how to deal with it but then again i feel like we're stuck here in the middle i don't know how many of us there are a lot of us are saying shut up but then uh <laughs> how many of us well are... i think it's also a I think it's just indicative of a larger problem, which is the lack of civility. You know, when I saw, you know, the Kathy Griffin thing, like I wasn't offended by it. You know, I wasn't even like back when they did like the whole like burning and lynching Obama shit. I wasn't angry about it. I was upset to the extent that I thought it was kind of just crass. But but my thinking on the subject was that it just it's indicative of the problem that I was mentioning earlier, which is that because we no longer share, you know, the same reality. You know, we don't live in the same reality as some people do. And, and, you know, we all live in our own, you know, not to get kind of haughty here, but it's like we all live in sort of our own epistemic communities where we just sort of learn from each other. We're all fairly similar and we rarely talk to people who are different. That wasn't the case 50 or 60 years ago, 56 years ago, you would talk to people who were different. Also, the parties weren't as ideologically aligned 56 years ago as they are now. They're way more ideological now. Before, they were sort of interest groups, and one was sort of the side of money, and one was the side of labor, and that was kind of the broad stroke, but they were, but there was enough cross-pollination. So you had sort of conservative Democrats like Robert Byrd, and you had liberal Republicans like Nelson Rockefeller, and it was just kind of – that was the way it was. But that's not the case anymore. And again, it's that lack of civility where, you know, the Kathy Griffin beheading thing and then the the Obama burning an effigy thing or the Hillary Clinton in prison thing, which we saw in a a parade in Indiana last Mm -hmm. fall. um, You know, it's indicative of a larger problem, which is that we don't even want to come together and discuss things amicably because we we don't just disagree with people who are different than us, but we hold them in contempt. And so it's a lot harder to be sort of civil and, and, and less violent or less vitriolic when you think the person who is different than you should be held in contempt. And so it, it, it's, you know, I, I think that she has all the right to do what she did. And I agree with Keith that CNN had all the right in the world to fire her. Uh, I thought it was in poor taste, but you know, what the fuck? I like edgy shit. I didn't really care that much. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you know, you know, like I love Piss Christ. I love the 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 uh, the art project where you can stand on an American flag. Like I like all that shit. Anything blasphemous or offensive or obscene, I'm generally down with. <laughs> Sacred cow. Um, yeah. And, and so you know, and so my thinking on the subject is, she had all the right in the world to do it. CNN had all the right in the world to fire her. I just think that it's indicative of a larger problem, which is that lack of civility and this sort of resort to violence, both in real violence like what we've seen on campuses and in sort of a metaphorical violence, like we see in this beheading picture. Yeah. This is exactly how I feel. I mean, and it, it's reflected anytime I, I, I have really, I used to be a big social media debate junkie and I just, I've just backed off from it because there's no, it's impossible to have a, um, a, a, a conversation not devolve into ad hominem from one party. And 
it's it's pathetic. It's uh, where maybe social media is partially to blame for all of this. True, very but, true. Uh, uh, it's 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 sad. Like we're we are all supposed to be, you know, a united country. You know, divide. divide what what's the the saying? You know, united we stand, divided we fall, and um, we're pretty divided. So we need to yeah check ourselves. Right. Uh, it, it's time. Talk talk to a conservative today. <laughs> yeah, try to and try to Justin, talk to them about the Paris Climate Agreement. Try your best. See what happens. Uh, and uh, Justin, you did bring up earlier Dan Arell, um, where yeah. um, you'll find yourself in groups of people where my guess is my guess is ninety percent of the co- to- conversation topic uh, with social issues and whatnot, we're probably going to agree with each other. Mm-hmm. But it seems that one little bit with the whole punch a Nazi thing, it's just like there's no uh there's no deviation from that. It's like hard lined and it's it's uh it's such an odd thing for me to see because um I was I became friends with the guy on Facebook after I, I got his book, uh Raising Kids Without God. Um it's a great book. In fact it inspired me to want to get a little bit more involved in local politics i mean great writer but then all of a sudden it just it's weird because and i'm not communicating with him if you're uh, getting into twitter wars with him i didn't know that that's interesting oh <laughs> but, I, um, i'm not i'm not uh, i just i've seen him getting so i used to be personal yeah. friends with him on facebook too um yeah. i'm not anymore i just follow his his public page um i think dan errol has lost his fucking mind um, I, 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 I'm sorry. Like, I'm just going to call a spade a spade. I, I just think he's lost his fucking mind. Uh, I think he's a, he's probably a very nice person. He's probably, I mean, he's definitely a good guy. You can tell he clearly has a very moral center to him in, in some respects yeah. and what he cares about. Um, but he's a pinko. I mean, that's, that's the problem. I mean, he's, he's, he's a communist. And so, oh, you know, is. you know, communists don't have a problem with violence in the way that liberals like you and me do um, because communism only has only ever achieved its ends in the world through violence. And to, to people like him, you know, the ends justify the means. And so he's going to, he's going to say the things he's going to say and do the things he's going to do in this, this idea of sort of creating this sort of socialist utopia. Um, I think politically Dan Arrow and I are radically different. Um, I, I, you know, like, I think he's done some really great reporting. I mean, his scoops are generally yeah. very good. His writing about the Ark encounter was really, really good. Um, mm. and I, I guess he's probably a very nice guy and real person. I, I just think he's lost his fucking mind. Um, it, it, when you, when you start calling Sam Harris and Jerry Coyne apologists for Nazis, maybe you're not right. <laughs> you not, know not, what I mean? It, yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's, I'm struggling with it too. That term Nazi sympathizer is just being yeah. thrown around. I mean, well, exactly. that's the conversation he had with Seth Andrews on The Thinking Atheist, if you listen to that episode, and it was well, just and like... Seth Andrews, and Seth Andrews owned his ass, and he's the first person to, like, finally, like, call out Dan Errol for some of the shit he believes. It which was a I good conversation. Tremendously, you know, um, because, you know, like I said, you know, you know, this is... I, I'm <laughs> sorry, but, like, this is, you know... He is a communist. And so when, when people are like that, to them, violence is just another tool mm-hmm. because, you know, they think that, you know, the time for talk is enough and this and that and the other. It's an authoritarianism that I, I'm not down with. I, I'm nope. just not. He certainly um, lost his humanism cred. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, for sure. I mean, he is a commie pinko leftist. He is a cliche of cliches. He is every right-wing nightmare that Fox News cooks up, but in real-life form. I mean, that's what (laughs) he is. You know, like what you know, what most people who watch Fox News think we are is actually what he is, um, and so it, it's it's you know, uh, uh, and and if if by defending freedom of speech and, and intellectual freedom and diversity of opinion and thought labels me a conservative, then sign me up. Where's my Tory <laughs> card? You know, I don't give a fuck. So it, it's just I, you know, it's here's the thing, guys. One of my favorite songs ever is the Ramones Commando. You got four rules. Rule number one. Uh, uh, for, for, for rule, I forget them now. Rule number one is, um, uh, uh, oh, shit. Um, <laughs> but, oh, rule, first rule is the laws of Germany. Second rule is be nice to mommy. Third rule is don't talk to commies. And fourth rule is eat kosher salami. Rule number three is very important. <laughs> which is don't, which is don't talk to commies, um, or, or or as I would amend it, talk with talk to commies with caution. Um, <laughs> That's probably a better way to go about it. Uh, well, Justin, um, Keith is uh, he's got his laptop closed up, and I can tell he's right. trying to uh, get his way out of here. Um, I'm just awesome. gonna kind of uh, close up the show with um, we've got a little audio bit, and I don't know if you'll be able to hear it or not. I, I mean, if okay. you stay on. You probably will. Um, okay. It's it has nothing to do with what we're talking about specifically. It's okay. it's actually Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, he's giving a commencement speech and he's talking about, um, you know how conservatives might say that they're self-made. Nobody helped me get here. It's mm-hmm. interesting to hear the Republican, former Republican governor of California. Like, I feel like he's gotten more liberal in a sense since he left being no, Republican no, no. governor. He, he was California. always this liberal. He was always this liberal. He was well, always a moderate Republican. Uh, in any you case, know. he has this really nice outro, and um, it's it's just really cool for me to hear this, and it's it's great because you're you're probably right, and I probably did not pay as much attention to him as I should have. I think I probably had a thing against Republicans for a long time. And uh, I think some are opening my eyes a little bit, which is a good thing. We need this. Mm -hmm. It's probably better that the moderates might be getting a little bit more attention or be, you know, they're talking with each other. You know what? I'm proud to be a moderate on the left. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I've said for years that my actual political distinction is I'm what is you would identify as a neoliberal institutionalist, which is kind of a mouthful. So what I just tell people is I'm a center left liberal. Um, you do you guys mind if I do a quick plug for my shit? Are you guys cool with that? Go ahead and go do ahead. that because I awesome. gotta find where I pull the Arnold Schwarzenegger okay, video cool. from so, so I can say uh, it online. <laughs> if, if you enjoyed what you heard this evening, uh, after of course after you've subscribed and rated Being Humanist, please check out uh, June sixteenth. The first episode of Reason Revolution is going to drop on SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and uh, I think what I'm going to do in that first episode is a little bit of a deep dive on some of the, the things about the Paris Accord. And we're also going to be talking about um, uh, the, the wave of terrorist attacks that have happened during the month of Ramadan. I'm going to talk a little bit about that on the show as well. And um, so, yeah, uh, follow me at, on Twitter at, at The Daily Clark. That's also my handle on Instagram, my Facebook handle, all that shit. 
Um, and uh, I look forward to hearing uh, feedback once I get the show up and running. And thank you guys for letting me get that shameless plug in. Hey, man. Absolutely. It was great to have you on the show again. Yes. Definitely good to hear thank from you. Thank you guys again. very, very much. I appreciate it. Um, so, uh, yeah, again, beinghumanist.com. Or, sorry, beinghumanist.com. Maybe we should get one of those, too. Um, beinghumanist.podcast at gmail.com. Send us an email. Um, find us on Twitter at beinghumanistpc and facebook.com slash beinghumanist.podcast. Um, lots of interesting things going on in the world today. Um, I think this final clip from Arnold will make people happy. Um, but, um, yeah, I guess, as always, I'm I'm Mike. And I am Keith. And, uh, of course, Justin has been with us, and we implore you to keep thinking. As always, keep thinking. Yes, yeah, so here it is. It's an Arnold Schwarzenegger, just a little little clip from a speech, I believe, that he gave um, at the University of Houston. So uh hope everybody has a wonderful day. As soon as I, you know, push play here. <laughs> good night, good night, everybody. I came over here with absolutely nothing. I had $20 in the pocket and some sweaty clothes in the gym bag. But let me tell you, I had this one little apartment, and on Thanksgiving, the bodybuilders from Gorge Gym came to my apartment, and they brought me pillows, dishes, silverware, all of the things they didn't have. None of us can make it alone. None of us. Not even the guy that is talking to you right now. There was the greatest bodybuilder of all times. Not even me that has been the Terminator and went back in time to save the human race. Not even me that fought and that killed predators with his bare hands. I always tell people that you can call me anything that you want, but don't ever, ever call me a self-made man. They give the wrong impression that we can do it alone. None of us can. The whole concept of the self-made man or woman is a myth. I would have never made it in my life without the help. So this is why I don't believe in the self-made man. Why I want you to understand that is, is because as soon as you understand that you are here because of a lot of help, then you also understand that now is time to help others. That's what this is all about.